That's why we're talking through this series called Made to Make a Difference. Because if you're just like everybody else, you are not going to make a difference. You can't make a difference in the world being just like the world. In fact, I'm going to add one little thing to what Pastor Chris said. He said an amazing truth. He shared that we are the righteousness. If you're a believer, you are the righteousness of Christ. That's what Scripture teaches us. He said if you are dealing with issues of sin in your life, that you can be washed clean, that you can be made clean, and that you don't stand condemned by God because you are robed in the righteousness of Christ. All of that is absolutely true, and we say amen to that. And I'm going to add one sentence, go and sin no more. So being in the righteousness of Christ don't mean go be like anything and everything else because it's an excuse that I can use to sin without any repercussion. And I was, we were such good friends. No, we, we, we are the righteousness of Christ. And then he says, I made you righteous. Now go live beyond sin and make a difference in this world. Make a difference in the world. And so we're, we've been talking through it, and we said last week that making a difference means having a significant positive effect on a person or situation. So we are not trying to have a negative effect in the world. We are called to make a, have a positive effect in the earth and in those that we have influence with and that we can reach. We're pushing for a positive effect. The phrase made, made to make a difference sums up Christianity in, in one way because Jesus first made a difference through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then he made a difference in your life and in mine in salvation. He, he made a difference in us. The difference that we make in the world, as we taught last week, is the difference that has been made in us. So if you want to know what kind of difference has been made in you, go look at what the kind of difference you are making in the world around you. You can only duplicate what you are. Amen, Amen is right. <laughs> That's a fact. So third, he commanded you and I to make a difference in the world as the church. So we are made as a whole, individually and corporately together as a church to make a difference in the world. He made the church out of individual believers who said, yes, I know Jesus is Lord. I accept him as my savior and now I will walk with him onward. And as individual believers, we are the child of God. As united believers, we become the church of God and the body of Christ. And so last week, we talked about adopting an attitude to make a difference. And we saw that Timothy had the attitude that if it will help somebody else come to Christ, that's what I'm going to do. We were talking about circumcision last week. It's not our topic today. But Timothy said, I know, I recognize that Paul has already taught, it's already been decided by the elders of the church that you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved, and yet I am willing to be circumcised in order to be most effective in ministry to those in my region, in this region where I'm called. If that's going to help them connect with Christ, then I'm willing to make that sacrifice. And so today I want to talk about the place of making a difference. We had the attitude of making a difference, and now we're talking about the place of making 
a difference because Paul and Silas and Timothy traveled through the region and where Timothy was well known and, and he's, he's going with Paul and the churches are encouraged, the churches are growing. There's a lot of good stuff that's happening in ministry in the life of Paul and Silas and Timothy. But then Paul and Silas move on and we don't see Timothy moving on with them. It looks like he stayed in that region and continued to do ministry there. Now, later on, he may have done, he did some other things. But at this point, we see Acts chapter 16 in the next section. And we're going to read a little bit of a lengthy passage here. But Acts 16 verse 6 says, Next, Paul and Silas, and notice it doesn't name Timothy here, traveled through the area of Phygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. The Holy Spirit prevented them. Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So notice that it says first, the Holy Spirit prevented them. And then it says the uh, Spirit of Jesus prevented them. And so what it's showing us is that the Holy Spirit and Jesus or when we receive Jesus in our life, we're, we're receiving the direction and the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our life. There's a, there's a direct correlation there, a direct connection there. Spirit uh, and, and the Son of God and the Spirit of God, uh, we're, 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 not, we're not seeing a separation there. We're seeing, we're seeing two, two realities of God for sure. And we're seeing that they are working together completely here as he's called, the Holy Spirit is defined as the Spirit of Jesus. Did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia and northern Greece was standing there pleading with them, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So we boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed in Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city in that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Tyria, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Next week, we'll read the rest of the Bible. <laughs> but notice the story. There is a, an entire progression of the storyline that's going on here in Acts 16, 6 through 15. It's, it's telling us how Paul and how Silas get to this moment when they make a difference in the life of this lady by the name of Lydia. Now, the book of Acts at large is the history of the church. And sometimes it is dismissed in as descriptive versus prescriptive when talking about theological things and, and doctrinal things. And people will say things like, well, it tells us what they did. It's not prescribing to us what we should do. It's historical. 
It's not prescriptive, and so much of what happens in the book of Acts is not necessarily connected exactly to what's going on in our day and in our world. And the result is many churches simply dismiss Acts in theological or doctrinal conversations. Now, I'm not saying right or wrong in that, but what I am, well, actually I am saying right or wrong in that, uh, because it is historical, but history can't be separated from what is written in history. And so when we talk about the epistles, then we're, we're, we're talking about books that are being written within the timeline that is shown to us in the book of Acts. So in the epistles and in the gospels, because we cannot discount the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus, we are told to be disciples, to make disciples, and we're told what was taught to disciples in the gospels and in the epistles. These are all prescriptive things. They're, they're God saying to us here, I'm writing out what you ought to do in your life and in your life connected with me. But many will take the prescription of the epistles, the gospels, and then they will personalize the application or description of the prescription. But no good, and I stress the word good, no good doctor prescribes you medication and then says, do what you will with this. Here's a bottle of pills, take them as you like. If your doctor does that, you need a new doctor. <laughs> because a prescription without a proper description can be deadly. That's why when they give you that prescription, that prescription could be the most mild thing that's ever seen the light of day, and it will come with a book of description. Description of everything it will do for you and everything it may do to you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. When the, when the caveats are longer than the commercial itself, what they're doing is they're saying, let me give you a description of what could happen so that if it does happen, you can't be mad at us. We're still mad if it happens, but yes, they are describing. And so a description reveals the application of a prescription. The prescription of the gospel, the prescription of the epistles are described to us in Acts by the very people who were writing much of the prescription. So in, in the medical world, a doctor can, can prescribe to you a, a statin which will lower your cholesterol levels. But the doctor themselves may not need a statin in their life. They're like, okay, this is what you need to take one per day for the rest of eternity, and here you go. And you take that, but you don't say to, to the doctor, hey, doc, are you taking this? I want a list of your medications. I only want to take what you take. Because our physiolog physiological realities are different. 
What the doctor needs may be different than what I need or what you need. But on a spiritual plane, that is not the case. There are certain things that God will do in our life or call us to in our life that isn't universal. It's not for everybody, and I get that. I've, I've taught over the years about the fact that for a long time I was uh, personally convicted and I did not wear watches. There is nothing wrong with a watch. Christy got a bunch of watches during that season of my life. I just really like watches. And one time I was standing there and a, a spotlight on the stage glinted off a watch and I stopped for a moment from worshiping Jesus and I thought, wow, this watch looks really great with this suit. And instantly I felt convicted by the Spirit of God, I took off the watch and I didn't put a watch on for 10 years. I'm not wearing a watch right now, but that's not because of conviction. That eventually uh, lifted and I was able to put one on without feeling anything at all negative. So what I'm saying is there are certain things that God can do in my life that may not be true in your life, but the things within the word of God, that is not how that works. In the word of God, that applies to all of us. Can we say amen? That's why the world gets really messed up whenever a pastor preaches one thing and then it's discovered that they're doing something different. And people say stuff like, practice what you... Aha, yes, you've heard that. (laughs) You may have said that. But that's not just true for pastors. That's true for pretty much everybody. If if somebody's holding us to a standard, we want them to live by the standard that they're holding us to. Amen? Amen. That just seems fair. That seems right. Well, what we're seeing in the book of Acts is we're seeing those who are writing the prescription as led by the Holy Spirit living out the very prescription that they're writing about. It's Peter on the day of Pentecost receiving the Holy Spirit like the 120 did, but then immediately having to stand up and preach to an entire crowd of people what, about what just happened to him. He, he's living out, he just lived something out, now he's got to talk about it. It's a pretty impressive thing that God has done in setting up the Word of God. So now, uh, the Apostle Paul and disciple Silas are seeking a place to make a difference. We've read how they went from place to place to place to place. And and, and now we see them stop in this moment. I'm not saying they didn't make any difference along the way, but I am saying in this moment, Scripture pauses and says, now pay attention to this moment. And here's our big idea today. If you're a note taker, write this down in the opportunity that's in your service guides online. You can download it or just write it on your neighbor's hand, whatever you need to do to keep it. I see some fights about to break out. Okay. The big idea is seek a place to make a difference. Seek a place to make a difference. If we develop an attitude of making a difference, it will drive us to seek a place of making a difference. That's exactly what Paul and Silas are doing. They're going from place to place saying, where can we make a difference today? And I have three thoughts for us, and thought number one is this. Seeking is intentional action. Choose to move on purpose. Momentum's a great thing unless you're not in control of it. Have you ever been running down a hill? Man, for the first 10 steps, it feels wonderful. 
And then for the rest of that journey, it is terrifying. At first, you're just like, man, I'm going fast. And the rest of the trip, you're just saying, can I stay on my feet? That's what momentum does. Move on purpose. So what we often do is instead of moving when the Holy Spirit says move, we creep. Or we try to maintain all control and stand firm. Choose to move on purpose. Paul and Silas are traveling. Phygia and Galatia, they try to go to Asia. They go to Mycenae, they try to go to Bithynia. They go to Troas, they they sail to Neapolis. They go to Philippi, a major Macedonian city. So they're going to cities, they're going to towns, they're going to regions. Macedonia is a region, it's kind of like saying Ohio. There are many towns and cities within Ohio, but there's, there's, you know... One Ohio, it's, it's a region of the United States of America. And so they're going through all of these different places looking for that moment to make a difference. They're intentionally moving there, seeking there, looking there, trying there. The common attitude in the world today is that when opportunity presents itself, then I will make a difference. When my neighbor down the street comes to my house, knocks on my door, waits patiently for the 35 minutes that I hold off from answering the door, waiting for them to leave, but finally recognize they will not go and I'm going to have to leave my house at some point, and they're standing there, so I open the door, and then they say, would you please teach me about Jesus? I won't say no. That's kind of how we approach the things of God. It's if, if it's just so plain and clear before me that I, that I would have to be a bad person to say no to this, then, then I'll say yes. But these disciples of Jesus were actively looking, pursuing to make a difference for the kingdom of God. What does Jesus think about this kind of stuff? Well, when teaching about how to receive things from God, Jesus taught in Matthew 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. This is a very famous verse. This is a very uh, common passage. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. I have heard this referenced even on uh, secular television and, and referenced in such ridiculous ways. But people understand the concept that if I'm in need, I keep, I keep asking until the need is met. I, I keep knocking until the door is open. I keep, I keep uh, uh, ask, knock, and seek. I keep seeking until I find the thing. And it's easy for us to connect with this passage of Scripture whenever the need is ours. When, when my need is such that it's just all-encompassing, then, then I don't stop. I, I've had people tell me, I've been praying about this need in my family for many years, and I would say, keep praying until there's an answer. I've been knocking on doors of opportunity because I, if I don't have an opportunity, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills, and my answer is keep knocking. I, I, I've been seeking the, the situation that's going to be right because every situation I've seen thus far has been wrong. So I keep seeking and my encouragement is keep seeking. 
We connect well to it when the problem is ours, but what if we are the answer to someone else's prayer? Someone else is saying, Lord, how do do I know you? And we're saying, well, if they show up to my door and knock until I can't stay in the house anymore, then I might say yes. The apostle, the disciple, they are seeking, they are knocking, they are asking consistently, and they are saying, Lord, whose prayer shall we answer? whose, Whose life can we make a difference within? How do we get to that place where we are the ones that are making a difference there? We're availing ourselves to you. We're we're saying, here I am. So we don't seek, we don't ask, we don't knock only for selfish reasons. We say, Lord, where can I make a difference? So we enter every, every door looking. We walk into Kroger going, who can I make a difference? Where can I make a difference? I would rather somebody say, you know, the people at Five Lakes Church are just too passionate about Jesus than to say, you know, I've known Bob, Sue, Sally, Jim, and, and I'm just throwing names out there. If these are your names, I'm not making uh, a statement. Matter of fact, I'll say Steve because I've learned we have like 7,000 Steves in this church. So Steve, all right. I didn't know Steve was a believer. Woo! No, I'd rather hear, you know, they're too passionate about stuff. Then I didn't even know that they were a believer. We enter every door looking for an opportunity. We knock on every door expecting it to open. The fact is discipleship is entrepreneurial. Everything that Jesus teaches, go into all the world. Knock, make disciples. Knock, seek, ask. That's all intentional movement. That's all going on purpose. So what are you intentionally seeking, knocking? What are you intentionally asking for, for kingdom purpose today? Silas and Paul end up in Macedonia because they were called there by the Holy Spirit. And that's thought number two, seeking is spirit directed. Do you know that it's easier to steer a moving car? That's not a trick question. It's just easier to steer a moving car. Okay, so years ago in Chicago, I was, I was going somewhere and I can't remember. I was trying in the first service to remember where I was going and I can't remember. I wasted 10 minutes trying to figure out where I was going and I can't remember. So I'm only going to waste three telling you that I can't remember right now. And so I was, I was dressed in a suit and I had an overcoat on because it was cold and I pulled up to a, a light. And a, a lady, a, a car was there with flashing lights, and I looked over, and it was a lady by herself, and, and uh, it was, this is before the day where everybody had cell phones, and, and so I pulled over to the side of the road, and I said, ma'am, are you, are you okay? And she said, my car uh, died, and it won't start, and, and so I, I called 911, and I, and I um, you know, told, us, told them where we were, and they were sending some people, but I said, Do you, would you like me to help, pu- would you like me to push you out of the road? It's a fairly small car, and so she said, sure. Uh, that'd be great. And so I'm standing behind the car and I'm pushing the car and I'm in, uh, I'm in dress shoes. And so they're not, you know, the grippiest things on earth. And so I'm pushing and the car would move a little bit, then it would stop. And I would lean into it and move a little bit, then it stopped. And, and, and I was like, what is wrong with this situation? Until I realized every time we get started, her brake lights would light up. <laughs> 
I'm being a good Samaritan, but now, frankly, I don't want to be Samaritan right now. I want to be, I want to be other stuff. And so, and so I've got sweat, uh, you know, beading off my forehead in the cold. And, and so I walked over and I said, ma'am, um, I, are you hitting the brakes when I'm pushing the car? And she said, well, I don't want to go too fast. <laughs> I just want to go at all. How about that? And so <laughs> I just wonder how many of us do this in the kingdom where the Holy Spirit is pushing us along, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, the scripture says. That's, that's the breath of God breathing and pushing them in a direction. And how many of us, the, the minute the Holy Spirit begins to move us, we start applying the brakes. It's easier to steer a moving car. Now, every place isn't your place to make a difference. Jesus himself tried to go to his hometown, and he couldn't do many miracles there because they, their faith could not receive him. But you do have a place. Every place that you go to may not be the spot where you're most effective, but you do have a place. Paul and Silas wanted to go to Asia. The Holy Spirit said no. They wanted to go to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit said no. So here's, here's a statement you might want to write down. The goal is effectiveness. Seek what is right, not what is available. A whole lot of people have gotten in trouble in marriage because they married what was available instead of what was a right. That is good preaching, Pastor Micah, right there. They're the only person that wants me. Not the best reason to get married. She's the only one that knows I'm alive. Not the best reason to get married. I would rather, I got to preach other things, but the purpose is effectiveness. The goal is effectiveness. So you want to be effective in the place that God has called you to make a difference. There's no point in going to try to make a difference at a place where you're not going to be effective. Is it ever wrong to share the gospel? No, it is always right to share the gospel. So Paul is on his way to uh, wherever he's at and he's, he's facing Asia. So he's like, I'm going to Asia. I'll go share the gospel in Asia. And the Holy Spirit says no. Can we hear it when the Holy Spirit says no? Well, you know, God, I'm really doing this for you. This is your mission I'm on. It's your gospel I'm sharing. And now you're going to tell me no? Do you even know what's good for you, God? Now, I'm assuming Paul didn't have that conversation, and I'm assuming we're not either. But at the end of the day, many people would go to Asia and share the gospel. But not Paul. You are most effective when working where God sends you. Whenever Jesus was teaching about how to receive food and clothing or, or, or needing food and clothing and worrying about food and clothing and physical necessities of life, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And in some translations you may recognize, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Now, sometimes this is misconstrued to say that we should seek nothing except the kingdom, and that is not what it says. It said, seek first. 
So in life, there are many things that you can seek. You can seek great friendships. You can seek great romances. You can, you can seek great businesses. You can seek great success. You can seek great finances. You can seek great power in earth. You can seek a lot of things that aren't inherently bad if we seek the kingdom first. When we seek the kingdom first, then all of those things that come into our life come through the kingdom And now they are healthy, and now they are in right order, and now they are beneficial across the board. Where we get in trouble is when we seek the other things and leave the kingdom to last, or or, or second to last, or wherever it is in our lineup, and and suddenly the, 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 uh, well, the sin nature in our life begins to focus on the things that make us great, and suddenly, instead of seeing the king who gives all good gifts, Now we see us and how awesome we are. And pride continually separates us from God from the beginning of time to today. So when we seek first the kingdom, now we have all these things, whatever they may be, in a healthy and beneficial way. So to be directed by the Spirit, we first constantly ask for direction. Get up in the morning, Lord, where where are we going today? What do you have for me today? Holy Spirit, lead me today. Do what you know is right. Sometimes we ask God for things and then don't believe that he's given them. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of the Father and he will give the wisdom. So we say, give me wisdom, Lord. Give me wisdom, Father. And then we walk into the meeting and we're terrified because we don't really believe that we have the wisdom that we need to handle that situation. We prayed the prayer, but we didn't walk in its reality. If we really believe that God's given us wisdom, then we walk in there with confidence and we recognize fully, I don't know everything that's about to happen in this meeting. And I don't know if I have all the information that I need in order to be able to fix every problem that's about to arise. But what I do know is that I have the wisdom of the Father working in my life right now. So whatever comes up, I'm going to be able to handle it. That's walking in that wisdom. So consistently ask for direction and do what you know is right. Respond when you hear direction. Be ready to hear yes. Be willing to hear no. Oh, there's a lot of us that have gotten into trouble throughout our life because we know the Holy Spirit said no. There was a check in our heart, a check in our spirit. Something just didn't feel right, but we wanted that thing so bad. And 57 and a half years later, you're still paying for it. That was the last service. That wasn't this service, apparently. (laughs) Expect that God can make himself heard. If God can create the heavens and the earth, God can get your attention. Thought number three, spirit-directed seeking means finding the right place to make a difference. Spirit-directed seeking means finding the right place to make a difference. After a lot of travel and several no's, Paul and Silas were in Philippi. And there on the Sabbath day, they went out of the city to a riverbank. And this is the phrase that really caught my attention in this whole passage and got me thinking in this direction. I believe the Holy Spirit was leading us there, but it says where they thought people might be praying. Now, think about that. 
If you know that the big crowd is waiting for you to dispense your knowledge, then you show up. You show up ready to make a difference, and you should. But if you think that people might be praying over there on the riverbank, a ways out of the city, this wasn't in the synagogue, this was maybe not, you know, if, if somebody is there, they may or may not be people of importance. Last week I shared with you that in the culture of the day, if you, if you were able to witness to the head of a family, then oftentimes you got the whole family. But the head of a family was 99% of the time going to be male. We see that throughout Scripture. And you see that, frankly, in some cultures even right now. But here's Paul and Silas not knowing who they might see, and they may see nothing. It may just be a walk by the river. But they go to a place where they think people might be praying, and they go there to make a difference. Now, the right people might be, the right place, rather, may be unexpected outside the city, maybe meeting. We're just going to throw a, a hook out in the water and see what we see. The right place may seem to present the wrong people. I don't see the head of a household here. I see a number of women. Doesn't even look like a big group. So do we sit down? Do we engage with conversation? Do we pull back? Do we walk by? I am, in fact, the Apostle Paul. I'm writing a lot of the New Testament. I'm kind of busy, fairly important. Just several women here. How many people have we walked by because they just weren't important enough for us? The right place, however, will always connect you with the right people. Because in this group was one lady. It's interesting that no one else in this passage is named by name except Lydia. And no one else, and most people in Scripture are not named by name, and very few, they tell you what they do. But this is Lydia, named by name, and she's a seller of purple. So if she wasn't a billionaire, she was definitely up there in the hundreds of thousands and maybe millionaire in her world. In fact... She was wealthy enough to have a house that could accommodate multiple guests at a time who were not family. So Lydia is, she could have been a slave, she could have been a free woman, she could have been married, she could have been single. We don't know anything more than what we see right here. But what we know is that she has such presence and such uh, conviction in her life that when she believes in Christ, she hears what Paul says. She believes what Paul's teaching. And when she believes in Christ, she, her whole household is baptized. Her whole household believes. Her whole household is converted because Lydia is converted. I believe the difference in Lydia's situation and in life is pointed out because of the kingdom difference that she made. And she also puts Paul and Silas on the spot. And she said to them, if you believe that I am your sister in Christ, come stay with me in my house. Recall, Jewish law 
said Jews cannot even eat with Gentiles, much less stay in their house. Peter said that to Cornelius. Later on, Peter and Paul have a real big fight because of that very issue. That was just sitting down and eating with a Gentile, much less staying in their house. But Lydia is like, if you really believe what you just taught me, live out what you just taught. In today's parlance, she's saying, come on with your bad self. <laughs> Practice what you preach. And to Paul and Silas's credit, they did that exact thing. So the scripture says, go into all the world. And when we think about that, we think overseas missions or, Lord, where in Africa or South, South America or where are you sending me? Where shall I go to make this difference? And what we often forget is that your neighbor, your coworker, the people at the farmer's market, the people at work, the, all of those people are in fact in the world. You better write that down. They're all in the world. So when we go into all the world, it means them too. Christy and I, after six, year, six months of marriage, we went to Botswana, Africa and served there as missionaries. And I love travel. I love different cultures. I've lived overseas many times, a number of times in my life, and, and, and I just love it. And one day we're driving the truck. We're, I was driving a little pickup truck. Uh, we've probably been there three or four weeks. And I'm, flying, I'm going down this dirt road, and hey, we are driving through National Geographic. It is awesome. You know, this, this real, those are real places in those pictures, just if you didn't know. And so we're going along, and I, I look over at her, and I said, this is awesome. And she looked over at me, and she said, this is all right. <laughs> going to the grocery store, and there's a cow just hanging from a hook at the, on the ceiling. And the butcher's like, which part do you want? They wave away the flies, and then they cut it out. She's like, this is all right. About the third time, I realized God was not going to call us to anything but U.S.-based mission. Not if I wanted to be a happily married husband. And so, we moved back to the United States, and we began to seek for that difference-making opportunity. The Lord has given us that opportunity in several different places, and right now, the question that I have to you and for me is, what kind of difference can we make in Toledo, in Sylvania, in the metro area, in Ohio? What kind of difference can we make in our neighborhood and, and in our grocery store and in our schools? And what kind of difference can you make in your, the company that you either own, work for, manage? We're called to make a difference. We're created to make a difference. We are, we are the people who are helping people get their hopes up. Not in this world, but in Christ Jesus. Because at the end of it all, every kingdom will pass away. Whether it be the kingdom or the empire known as Rome, or it be the kingdom today called the country of the United States of America, or any other. Should the Lord tarry, it will pass away. One thing remains. That is the kingdom of Almighty God. We are made to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads? Prayer partners, would you come forward? 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word. And I pray that you give us the courage, the courage and the strength to walk forward, making a difference, an active today difference. I pray that we don't just reminisce over the difference that was made years in years past. We celebrate it, but we can't live there. I pray that we don't just get enamored with the, the, the difference that will be made someday in the future by our students and our kids. But I pray that we recognize the difference that we are called to make right here and right now. Through the power of your word, through the empowering of your spirit, and through the dedication of walking out what you've called us to do. We give you thanks and praise for it. Open up our eyes to see the opportunities this week. And let your name be glorified in your people. If that's your prayer, would you just agree with me in prayer and say amen. Amen.